0: Good morning, everyone. Greetings on another Lord's Day um, when we are uh, apart from one another. And Lord willing, Um, this time next week we will be uh, together, uh, reunited as a church family uh, in public worship. Until then, it is uh, good that the Lord continues to provide for his people and uh, we are able to continue to uh, worship him as we wait on him. We are picking up uh, where we left off uh, with Psalm 37, part two, but uh, before we start that, I want to remind everyone that this afternoon at 4.30, we have our weekly uh, time of praying together. I um, hope, even if you haven't joined us yet, you can uh, join us. Uh, The information is in the email that was sent out um, yesterday, and I hope uh, many of you can join us. It's been a great time of being able to pray uh, together while apart. Um, As we uh, turn to Psalm 37, let's um, go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for his blessing. Uh, Please uh, join me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do indeed pray that you would speak to us as we come to you, for we, Father, are hungry and we want to receive the food of your holy word. Father, would you uh, take your truth and indeed plant it deep in us, would you Shape and fashion us in your likeness, uh, that indeed that the light of Christ uh, might be seen in us and that uh, the power of your truth would um, uh, oppose uh, the unbelief that still resides in our hearts. Father, would you, through your word and spirit, help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we uh, come to you and as you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name amen. So we are on part two of Psalm uh, 37. If you've got your Bibles, please uh, take them out and uh, join me in turning to it. We've been seeing how the Psalms uh, support both uh, corporate worship of the church and all of life worship of the Christian. These 150 Psalms are diverse, and yet they're united uh, as they are centered on the one true and living God. Um, in the Psalms, we see where God and man um, encounter one another in particular. Um, you'll notice that the Psalms are, don't look like narrative. They are poetry, and they cause us to slow down, to, uh, to think deeply, to meditate on God's Word. Um, here, our intellect is informed, our emotions are aroused, our wills are directed, and our imaginations indeed stimulated and when we read the psalms with faith we come away transformed uh, and not just informed all of god's word is used by god to change us and i think the psalms in particular uh, do that because they're so helpful in worship and worship changes us from where we were from who we were to who we are becoming and one day uh, we will fully be and as i've been saying uh Worship on the Lord's Day reorients us and realigns us. Psalms are a precious treasure for the church. Uh, We neglect them to our detriment and we pay attention to them, to our great benefit in growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Now, why why does the church and why do believers continue to turn again and again to the Psalms? Well, I think the Psalms help us, help the believer recognize that While the whole world is full of injustice and and suffering, um, indeed, we are living in a sinful and fallen world. Nonetheless, God is our refuge. God is our strength. And the Psalms often put words, um, help us express what we are thinking, what we are feeling. They help us, as it were, be real. It's been said that the Psalms are an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. And as such, they... They serve to open us up, to help us see what's on the inside. They give us a language to express, as it were, our hearts. But we might as well also say that psalms are a medicine for our souls. They, they help to close us up. They help to heal us. They, the psalms expose us. The psalms cover us. Now, we're still in Psalm 37. It's a long psalm, 40 verses, um, It's in the category of a wisdom psalm. It's a wisdom meditation. You'll notice, unlike many of the other psalms, here it it speaks to man uh, less than it speaks to God. It's similar to Psalm 1, the gateway into the Psalter. Here in Psalm 37, David addresses his fellow believers. It's not a prayer of praise, but it's instruction and exhortation. What you see in Psalm 37 are two ways to live. Uh, we see uh, behavior, we see interaction, we see success. The two ways to live, that of the godly, the righteous, and that of the godless, uh, the wicked. And in particular, in Psalm 37, we see their interactions. And we see also in Psalm 37, two times, the present and the in Imminent future. Notice in verse 2, you see, will soon fade. In verse 10, in just a little while. So there's two time horizons, the present and the imminent. In other words, the future that's going to happen. We don't know when, but it's guaranteed, it's certain. And then there are two responses. The psalmist David provides a warning don't fret, don't envy. Don't be anxious, don't be angry, don't have the wicked be determinative in your life, but rather the encouragement to trust in the Lord, to delight in the Lord, to commit your way to the Lord, and as we will see today in particular, to be still and wait. Last week and this week, we're really just looking at the first 11 uh, verses where the main themes are established for the psalm and they're further elaborated. Uh, were we to pay uh, attention to every single verse? Last week, our focus was on the first six verses. Today, verses 7 through 11, where the call to not fret and not envy is joined by a call to wait, to wait patiently, to wait patiently in view of a promise join me as i read um, verses 1 through 6 again and then uh, 7 through 11 fret not yourself because of evildoers be not envious of wrongdoers for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb trust in the lord and do good dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. And now, beginning in verse 7. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Psalm 37 is framed by, at the beginning, the brief career of the wicked, and at the very end by the Lord's sustaining salvation of the righteous. Psalm 37 is is practical and pastoral. It provides assurance that any seeming injustice in this life is only temporary. It, It encourages the godly to go on trusting God despite injustice. Now last week our focus was on the primary instruction and exhortation. Fret not, be not envious. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. But today, our focus will be on the central promise. And that promise is found in verse 11. Let me read verse 11 again. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now, does but verse 11 sound familiar? Well, well it should. It, it's the third beatitude. Um, when Jesus began what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Now, most often, the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. In other words, we, we get at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. It makes sense for us because we've got the New Testament. So we look at the old testament through the lens of the new testament but here interestingly it's almost the other way around we're going to look at the new testament that verse in particular that third beatitude through the lens as it were of the old testament again jesus says blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth and most commentators have recognized that psalm 37 is an exposition of that one beatitude. And if you uh, read through all the beatitudes and and indeed read through the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see how much Jesus took from Psalm 37. So we're gonna spend uh, some time looking at meek, the meek and meekness. And as you saw in the something to think about, quote, the word meekness is notoriously difficult to define, according to Sinclair Ferguson. But like many things, I think we know it when we see it. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to ask Psalm 37 to help us better understand meekness by learning to identify the meek. And so we're going to ask three questions, asking them one at a time. Now, while these questions are somewhat distinct, they are also inseparable as they need to be taken together. And they, together, will help us understand why the meek are blessed with so great an inheritance. The meek, who are they? Well, the Bible has much to say, but let's just stick for a, the most part with Psalm 37. As a reminder from last week, um, you, you see the meek um, are identified as, as the righteous, and, and, and those People are those who trust in the Lord, who delight in the Lord, and who commit to the Lord. If you see in verse 7, the meek are the humble. Those who are still before the Lord, who are, who are silent, who, who are quiet before the Lord, who are at rest before the Lord. You see that contrast with that fretting that we saw at the beginning of kind of an agitation of, of a heat um, here in verse 7 the humble are, are cool and quiet and calm it's a contrast it's it, it's people who who have a calm and confident trust knowing that they are under the sovereign hand of God notice how verse 7 uh, continues fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices the 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 meek are those who are humble, who don't second guess God's timing because all throughout Psalm 37 is God's timing versus maybe our desire for the timing we want. The humble don't second guess that God has a time and a purpose for everything. The meek are those who wait longingly with expectant anticipation. The meek express faith and trust in God and they express a, a dependence upon God. Look with me at verse nine. Here's the statement from David, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Uh, the meek are those who are dependent. They, they leave vindication and vengeance to the lord i think it's in romans um, paul writes about not responding to evil with evil but rather responding to evil with good and leaving vengeance leaving judgment into the hands of the lord you see the meek person is the humble person the dependent per- person who doesn't take matters into their own hands it's the person who waits in expectant hope who waits quietly with an untroubled trust uh, for God to reward, for God to reward both the wicked and the righteous with what they deserve. So in verse 11, we see, but the meek. The meek are those who wait for the Lord. And you look up At verse uh, 9, yeah, those who wait for the Lord. And verse 7, those people are waiting patiently. But all throughout Psalm 37, in fact, nine times, you see the righteous, the righteous, the righteous, the righteous. Here, David is saying in that one expression of the meek, those who wait for the Lord, those who wait patiently, they are the righteous. In other words, the meek is not a separate category. It's, it's another name for those who are godly. It's another name for those who trust in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Now the word meek, as we see in our English Bibles, is five times expressed in the Bible in numbers, talking about Moses being a meek man. It's here in Psalms 37. It's, it's twice in Isaiah And it shows up one more time in Matthew. In Psalm 37 in particular, but throughout Scripture, the meek are are those who choose the way of patient faith instead of self-assertion. Moses didn't start out meek. Moses became meek. Instead of being self-asserted, He became God-dependent. Indeed, the meek are those who humbly acknowledge their dependence on the goodness and the grace of God. Meekness, as I said a moment ago, is is difficult to define, but you know it when you see it. And in a few minutes, we're going to get to uh, where we see it all, see it the clearest of all. So we see in verse 11 that the meek receive a promise. They are, they are um, guaranteed something. And, and what is that promise? What are they going to get? Well, we see the meek shall inherit the land. Notice it's the word inherit. It's not the meek will grab the land. It's not the meek will take possession of the land. It's not the meek will work for the land, but it's the meek will inherit the land. Now let's look first through the lens of the Old Testament, the land. Um, You see, what David is, is reminding his hearer in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of opposition from the wicked, of unfairness, he's reminding them that they have something coming they will receive from God a portion of the land that's promised in God's covenant to his people. The land of promise, the promised land. And the land, as you see, is a theme running through the Old Testament is, a, is a, uh, a type, a picture of the kingdom of God. And if you remember from verse 3, where we read, Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness that it's the land dwell in the land that i'm giving you you're going to inherit it fully and finally because the wicked will be dealt with the wicked though they may look successful now in the end they will receive what is coming to them but let's step back from the old testament and look through the lens of the of the new testament you see jesus In Matthew 5, 5, he puts this promise into a larger setting. It's not just the land, but it's the entire earth. Jesus, in in speaking to the multitudes on the mount, is taking this truth from God's word, this truth from scripture, and expanding it. Not just the land of promise, promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, The land expands to the entire earth. Peter writes, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you see how that takes Psalm 37 and expands it? But according to his promise, there it is in verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Here's the new heaven and the new earth. And Isaiah even looks forward to that as well. For behold, he writes, that the Lord creates new heavens and a new earth. And the apostle John in his revelation says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Here in Psalm 37 verse 11 is one of the passages that leans forward, that looks forward to that promise that's, that's been expanded in the New Testament. Now, before we move on from this question, what are they promised? I want us to think again about an inheritance. How do you get an inheritance? How do you inherit? Well, think about it. It doesn't belong to you at the beginning, but you receive it. It's given to you. It's in view of a relationship that you have with someone. And I think the common understanding of inheritance Is we inherit because someone has died. Someone passes on something from them to you. Who? Who is it that are the meek? What do they receive? They receive an inheritance. How? How do the meek, addressed here in verse 11, how do the meek receive what is promised? Well, we've already seen it thus far working its way through uh, Psalm 37. They acknowledge their dependence. David is driving home the fact that just as he has learned dependence upon the Lord, so also all of God's people need to learn dependence upon the Lord. Psalm after psalm after psalm, David confesses that he has no power to save himself. David, mighty warrior, David king, with all his skills, all his ability, David acknowledges his dependence upon the Lord. He has no power in and of himself to save himself. You see, David helps Christians understand that we depend and rely wholly on the sheer grace of God. So how do the meek receive what is promised? They acknowledge their dependence. They they trust God. At the beginning of Hebrews, the author speaks of how uh, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets we've got the scriptures of the old testament god has made himself known through creation he's made himself known through his word how do we receive what is promised we we, we trust god and there is enough in the scriptures of the old testament that god is worthy of our trust he is calling us to trust him but He has fully and finally revealed himself in Jesus. You see, we trust God through that final revelation, through God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the one meek man. Jesus is the one meek man to whom this psalm points. Jesus in his own words, when he's calling people to come to him to find rest, Jesus describes who he is in these words, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's the same word. It's the same word being used here in Psalm 37. Jesus is saying, I am meek. You know, that sounds pretty arrogant, right? Who of us could say, I'm meek. But if it's absolutely true, there's no haughtiness or arrogance. It's it's actually a humble thing to say. Jesus is saying, I am gentle. I am lowly in heart. Come to me come to me but not only is Jesus meek in himself describing himself as gentle and lowly in heart we know that he was meek in how he lived i think we read this last week we need to draw our attention to it again in first peter chapter 2 And as you hear these words again, think about Psalm 37 and the call to not fret, to not be anxious, to not worry, to not be angry, to commit your way to the Lord, to delight in the Lord, to trust in the Lord. We read this about Jesus. He committed no sin. He's righteous. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was righteous. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter learned that of Jesus. And that's what David is saying to God's people. That's what Psalm 37 is saying entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Jesus didn't take matters into his own hands. He waited patiently for the Lord to deliver him in his time. Jesus was surrounded by the wicked. Even his closest disciples expressed wickedness through their denials, through their betrayals, through their abandonment. He was surrounded by the wicked. And yet, as Peter writes, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus at that time was stripped of everything. I think scripture says he just had his robe left and even that was taken from him. He was stripped of everything so that we could be blessed with everything. And what could be a greater blessing than inheriting the earth, the new heavens and the new earth? Psalm 37 begins in agitation. But as we saw in verse 7, it's the call to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. And the psalm ends with calm objectivity. It's the closing argument. It, it, it's the summary. You know, here is the, the, the posture of the meek man who is described in verses 7 Through 11. Let me read verses 39 and 40 again. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. Hear hear, hear this again. The salvation of the meek is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps the meek and delivers the meek. He delivers the meek from the wicked and saves the meek because the meek take refuge in him. Salvation is from the Lord. He saves, it's his initiative, and the meek recognize that. Salvation is in the Lord. He saves those who take refuge in him. The meek respond to that offer of salvation, that offer of deliverance, that offer of shelter. Jesus is the, the only one who can truly sing this song with integrity from the heart. He's also the object of this song. Jesus didn't fret. Jesus wasn't envious. Jesus waited patiently for his father to deliver him. As we follow Jesus, is that not our call also? To wait patiently for the Lord's deliverance. Oh, how we want it now. And to be sure, for our salvation, there is an already and a not yet aspect. But there is a longing, a longing for that complete and full and final deliverance. So how do, how, how, does, how does the meek inherit the earth? How do Christians inherit the new heavens and the new earth? Christians inherit because Jesus inherits. When we sing, O Church, Arise, we sing these words. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure. And Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. You see, as Psalm 37 points us to Jesus, we see that he and he alone receives the inheritance of nations. The Father gives Jesus people from all over the world to be his bride. And we inherit as we are united to Christ by faith. My friends, salvation is from the Lord and salvation is in the Lord. We are called to find our rest and refuge in Jesus and wait patiently for an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, as Peter writes to us. My friends, only Jesus can give us that kind of an inheritance. And he gives that inheritance to anyone and everyone who trusts in him. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we are often, if not at all times, in one way or another, anything but meek. But we, Father, have a Savior Who, though absolutely powerful, who created all things, who sustains all things, who will come again to judge the living and the dead, our Savior was gentle and lowly in heart. Oh, Father, help us to run to Him. He knows our weaknesses, He knows our struggles. And through his perfect life of obedience and through his sacrificial sin atoning death, we have new life through faith in him. Father, we thank you for this exposition of the beatitude that blessed are the meek. Father, help us to rest in that blessing as we rest in Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.